Welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations with Nina Impala. Do you have questions about death? How about events surrounding death? Or perhaps you have questions that need to be answered after death. On this program, we talk frankly and openly about the subject and invite you to share your comments and experiences as well. Now, here is your host, Nina Impala. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another inspiring end of life conversations. I have got Dr. Augustus White III with me today, who has written a wonderful book called Overcoming, and the timing of it has been wonderful in my own life and many others, I'm sure, today. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Augustus White. He has been called the Jackie Robinson of orthopedics. He was the first African-American medical student at Samford, the first black surgical resident at Yale, the first black professor of surgery at Yale, and the first black chief of service at Harvard Teaching Hospital. He is a professor of orthopedics and medical education at Harvard Medical School and professor emeritus in the Harvard MIT Division of Health Sciences and Technology. Dr. White has pioneered the movement in U.S. and Canadian medical schools for culturally competent care and is a leading voice in the medical community's ongoing efforts to address the significant disparities in health and health care suffered by African Americans and other minorities. Among his many awards is the William W. Tipton Jr. MD Leadership Award for his work as an educator, mentor, and champion of diversity initiatives. Wow. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Nina. I appreciate the privilege and the opportunity to uh, talk with you about some of these important uh, aspirations and uh, realities that people have. Yes. And, you know, of course, you know, we do have a lot going on in our world today, and we're going to be getting into a lot of really beautiful, helpful tools, words, lots of things today on the show. One of the things that really caught me in your book, and I, I want to ask you two questions. First of all, what brought you to write this book? What, you know, like what inspired you? What made you think, you know, I'm going to write a book about overcoming? And on the front of your cover, I love it because it says overcoming, and then it says lessons in triumphing over adversity. And the part that I love and the power of our common, being that word, common humanity, because we all go through so much. So if you could talk to me about those two little questions, that would be great for our audience. Those are very compelling questions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I loaded you right I'm, I'm going to ask you to get me back if I don't cover the. You got very it. Well, I don't cover it very well, but let me let me start with um, the power of our common humanity. Okay. Um, I have, uh, for whatever reason, first of all, I really like people, me too. and uh, I wanted to go into medicine, and I thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist actually, and I wanted to, uh, but in medicine, you study people from A to Z. You study. The, the chemistry, the, the anatomy, the psychiatry, the uh, all aspects of the body, nerves, functions, va vascular activities, and so forth. True. And so I just got to the business of learning as much as I could about, about people and also learning that I feel good about trying to help people. Um, so I, I then went forward and had an interesting uh, experience in medical school 
where I encountered as a anatomy professor, uh, Dr. Montague Cobb. Mm. And Dr. Cobb is an African-American professor of medicine and professor of anatomy okay. and a civil rights leader. And he was very instrumental in getting hospitals to admit and take care of black patients. Uh, many, many of the, most of the hospitals in the U.S. did not do that. But in the process of his activities, his humanitarian activities, he actually ended up being chairman of the board of trustees of the NAACP. Now, why did I give you all that background? Because I want to tell you about Dr. Cobb and every lecture he gave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I invited him when I was at Yale. I had the opportunity to invite some doctors, some professors. And when I was at Harvard, I had that opportunity. And I invited Dr. Cobb both times to come as visiting professor and give a lecture. Got it. And each time when he got up and walked up to the podium, he began his lecture as follows. Good morning, my fellow humans. Oh, I love that. It was afternoon. Good afternoon, my fellow humans. Mm. And uh, that so impressed me and so helped me to focus on our common humanity. Yeah. And uh, my wife told me my answers are too long, so I'll try to move along. But <laughs> but our, our common humanity uh-huh. is extremely important. And Dr. Cobb, as I said, got me to focus on that and think about that. But you learn a whole lot more after you learn what you can in medicine and psychiatry and so forth. Another way to learn a great deal about our common humanity is to go and take care of wounded soldiers in a battlefield situation as a combat surgeon. Interesting. There, again, my attention was focused on my work. Mm -hmm. My work was dealing with my fellow humans under the very, very worst of circumstances. So you worked worked as a combat doctor during the war? Yes, in Vietnam for Mm -hmm. one year. Mm. I served as a, as a combat surgeon. Gosh. and uh, I can't imagine what uh, that was like. That probably well, changed your life. Well, that's right. And you can't imagine what that was like is a very wise, a very wise statement. Yeah. And unfortunately, very few people have any idea mm-hmm. what that is like unless they experience it. And you know, I, part of my interest in humanity was that I would love to have, I don't have this, but if I had a wonderful foundation that I could afford to bring world leaders from all around the world and have them safely spend three days with a combat surgeon in any place that there was a war going on. Mm-hmm. And so when they decided to make decisions about war, they would have some idea of what they're talking about. Okay. What they're making decisions about. They Mm -hmm. don't know Mm -hmm. if they haven't been uh, either very much in the military and combat or if they haven't been a combat surgeon or a nurse taking care of wounded uh, soldiers uh, from a war. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, but the, our, our common humanity is accentuated tremendously by that kind of experience so I, I put that together with my caring about people, my wanting to know about people, people, 
And my recognizing another factor is under these dire circumstances, we are very, very similar as human beings. Many characteristics will uh, present themselves and become very, very prominent uh, when we are in these kinds of very stressful situations. Yes. And we need each other. And, and, in, and Indeed. We need each other. And the... I love what you're saying right now because when I see any when I see the word humanity, Dr. White, it always just for me my ears just perk up because I feel how deeply connected we all are. And one of the things that you say in your book on page 25, this is this was like classic. 90%, which is most of us, will not escape one or more severe traumas in our lives, whether it's yes. debilitating illness. I put a check mark, bad accident. Check mark. Loss of a loved one. Check mark. Abuse in some form or other deep emotional distress, natural disasters, and war. Yes. And when you this this is part of our human existence, period. And your book really talks a lot about the attributes that are within all of us and what we what different people have done in order to get through whatever it is that's going on in their life. Some things can be healed and some things can't. And one of your little gentlemen that I would love to talk about is, is um, he is a special needs man that, that really, <laughs> I loved his motto, never give up, never stop dreaming. Obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off the goal. And he's special needs. And Josh, was that Josh Perry? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And the difference in his, and we'll talk about some other stories too, but the difference is his is that's something that can't be healed. Yes. So there was a level of acceptance. It seemed like the acceptance was more for his parents than for him because he kind of knew who he was. Is that? Do you think that's true about him? Yes. Yes. He he's a a, a wonderful human being and demonstrates so many things, uh, uh, not the least of which is uh, try to keep our special needs youngsters and people in the mainstream as, yes. as much as we possibly can yes. as compared to institutionalizing them. I think and that's happening more now, don't you think, Dr. White? Yes, it is. But yeah. he's a, I think he's a good example of that, though, and uh, just a wonderful uh, spirit and and the capacity uh, not to give up and capacity to uh, adjust the things that he cannot change. Yes. That's, that's what he has done, I believe. He has. And, and the one thing that he did say, I made a little note here, and I just thought it was really beautiful, that when something can't be healed, like some kind of an illness, or maybe you know you're going to die from cancer, or something can't be fixed. There is an opportunity, and I know this is true in my own life, and you probably could say the same, that it brings spiritual growth. It, it teaches you if you're open to it. And I think that sometimes, you know, I just think that's part of the plan. What are your well, thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I think sometimes we come forward as a better, I don't know if that's a value judgment, but as a, as a more... Uh, developed person as a better person, as a stronger, more positive, 
yeah. a human being, mm-hmm. when we're able to triumph over some diversity or some diversities, plural, <laughs> singular, yeah. plural, mm-hmm. um, and and it gives a gives a new meaning of life. It gives a new mission in life. It gives a new satisfaction. And 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 what we talk, I talk about nature. You know, I I I, uh, I I don't mean to try to be clear, but I talk about man's inhumanity to man, and nature's inhumanity to man. Oh, and, okay. And and nature gives us uh, uh, the possibility of things to work with to help us in these difficult circumstances that, as you point out, ninety percent of us will encounter. It's true. Nature is is the one thing in life that we can reflect on that always, it it's the same thing it teaches us, you know, that the seasons come, the seasons go, we're going to have rain, we're going to have sunlight, and the days just keep coming. And, and I think looking at life that way, you know, when I go outside, it always makes me feel better, always, you know, it just perks me up to look at the birds and the trees, and I agree with that. Go into, though, a little bit deeper when you say nature is... Inhumanity, I think you said inhumanity to man, or man is inhumanity to man. Could you talk on that a little bit? Well, uh, what does that mean? What I realized after not very long in Vietnam, <laughs> taking care of wounded, mutilated bodies and minds and souls, mm-hmm. as we did what we did to try to help what happens the way it works. You're a combat surgeon, uh, you're working inside of a hospital. And all the helicopters and uh, uh, trucks and, and ways of transporting wounded prisoners are brought into this hospital. They're coming in. You may get uh, 20 in one day. It may be three or four days. We don't get any. Uh, okay. And they come in, and they're at various stages of mutilation. Their limbs, their bodies, their heads, their minds. And uh, your job is to... Uh, stop the bleeding, try to save their lives, uh, those that you can, mm-hmm. and uh, debride the wounds. That means gets all of, get all of the uh, dirt, dirt and dust and feces and whatever else is in the wound oh. and try to s- decide which tissues are still alive, leave them in and cut out all the ones that are dead or dying because those are the ones that are going to cause infection. Correct. And that's what you do for uh, 10 hours, 5 hours, 24 hours as needed. Wow. Uh, so that's the way that is. And you you witness man's inhumanity to man. Got it. Okay, uh, that's clear. have been uh, perpetrated by uh, uh, their fellow human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's sort of what you see. Now, I had a little added uh, lesson in... Uh, common humanity and, and nature's inhumanity in that there was a leper colony uh, about uh, five or six miles away from the hospital. Right, and there were periods when we in the hospital happily didn't have any wounds to debride or any yeah. people to try to salvage. And so we learned and we developed and we worked with the nuns in, who stayed and lived in the hospital, San, mm. San Francisco, uh, Franciscan nuns, and we were able to go out and help them in a variety of different ways. Isn't but that wonderful? Leprosy is a disease that is horrible. Mm-hmm. It uh, 
it's a disease that takes away your sensation. You can't feel, you don't experience pain. So you, you have to be taught not to use your hands as tools, or as hammers or saws or whatever. Wow. And uh, your uh, limbs are uh, paralyzed to varying degrees, so it's hard for you to move around. And your face may be eaten away in part or fully. And in many societies, uh, such as Vietnam, many, many times these people will not even be looked at, not to be given any kind of human compassion or recognition. Mm -hmm. So here we are, you know, we're bouncing back between the leper colony where we're seeing nature's (laughs) destruction. Okay, yes. Okay, yes. So that's it. Hmm. What what did you see in like when you when you were with the lepers, like did you how did you find them to be as people? Were did you see some that were more upbeat than others? I mean, I have no idea, oh, yeah. Dr. White. So I was just wondering, yeah. you know, what what that would be like as far as their morale is considered. And guess what? We got to go to break. So let's let's talk about that when we get back. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll be right back. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, we're back with Overcoming 
and Dr. Augustus White. And Dr. Augustus White, we were talking about um, the leper colony that you went in and you were helping with. And I just had a quick question that I was curious about because of um, all of the readings that I've done in your book. What did you, what did the lepers do? Like in witnessing common humanity, you know, what was it in them that you noticed? Did it vary a lot or was it more, did they make friends in there? Did they just kind of keep to themselves? Did they have their faith? What did you well, see? Yeah, there, there's a, I'm, the, a good spectrum of individuality. But uh, one of the things that impressed me, though, is, uh, as I mentioned, they were very disabled. Their nerves uh, were destroyed in a variety mm-hmm. of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard for them to to do work, to use their hands. Uh, but they they had time. And they were, even though they were, there was very little that they could complete. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of time for them to do a relatively small amount of work. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, many of them worked very assiduously and diligently and concentrated on what they were doing and did produce. In fact, the, the leper colony produced Tile. They were able to produce Make beautiful things. tile and sell it to uh, for construction in and around the relatively poor community in Vietnam that they were in. Mm-hmm. So that that was one thing. Gave them and some were obviously more. For well, some were able to speak English and could communicate with us more, and uh, they would out reach out to us. and And to the extent that I mean, they would like to be as as uh, normal as, as others, but unfortunately, uh, they, they didn't have that privilege, but they were humble and very grateful for the, the services and the care that, that they were able to receive from the nuns mm-hmm. and the additional. We actually ended up offering them surgical care, some surgical procedures. Uh, mm-hmm. Others in the military volunteered to go out with, with us. Uh, I was sort of involved as a leader because I was a surgeon and helping to make the plans. But Mm. nurses uh, who had volunteered to be in the military, also some of them came out to help us in the leper colony, which is purely uh, volunteer. This is beautiful. You know, it's just a nice thing to hear, you know, after a Vietnam War that something this beautiful took place. So thank you so much for sharing that story. I wanted to talk about in our book. So, in your book, one of the things that, you know, we've noticed so much over the last year is um, children dying and older children, you know, where we've seen suicide and drug overdoses and things like that. And I wanted to talk about it today because, you know, inspiring end-of-life conversations is a lot about, you know, moving through life helps you to move through death. And in a, in a positive way, when we learn about it, that's an important part of my show. And I was reading about the two stories. So there's two stories in your book. We have the um, the O'Neills and the Costellos. And one was an accidental death and one was a death by cancer. What I found so interesting in both those stories, Dr. White, was how these parents found their hope. They're very different because accidental death, you know, you really don't get closure. With cancer, you can kind of prepare, you can hope, you can do these things. And what I found, and maybe you can talk to this, is what I found was, you know, 
The word acceptance is used a lot in your book, and it takes a lot to get to acceptance. Being a grief counselor for 20 years, that's something that I, it, some people, it takes a lot longer than others. What I noticed in these two families is while they were getting to their acceptance, their peace started to make a home in their heart. And with child loss, that is something that we see parents, I've seen so much with parents that just go through so much turmoil trying to get to that place of, can I accept this? Can I normalize my life? And in, in the stages of grief, which I've learned are very variable, acceptance is, is at the very bottom. And it shows that you have to go through all this stuff, other stuff ter- first, you know, denial, bargaining, anger, and depression, and then hopefully acceptance and maybe normalizing your life. So my question is to you is that, well, it's not really a question, it's more of a statement about how you feel about that. When there is a loss of a child, that if we can open the heart and get to this place where this is something that just happened, as opposed to all the questioning and all the hard stuff that comes up to fix it. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I kind of wanted um, to hear your thoughts on that and what you think yeah. about that. Well, you know, um, there's a lot of parents. To a large out there. degree, um, yeah, we're talking about the same psychological strategy, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. And, and whether it's done by design or written out or whether it's done spontaneously, it's a strategy. And, and it can be labeled and recognized and thought of, I believe, in a number of different ways. For example, uh, my bottom line, where we're going to go, is acceptance, real acceptance, is a wonderful element of resilience. Yes. And, uh, I think that's 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 an important point. You can and I say something I real quick, that, Dr. White? Sure. I was I was looking, I was kind of uh you know, just taking a look at the word resilient today. And uh-huh. it says that you're recovering, it's really interesting, recovering quickly from difficulties. So in my mind, I'm going, okay, people just kind of when I've had to get to acceptance in my life, I have to rearrange everything and maybe take a new path because the one path that I'm on is causing me suffering. Right. And, and the, I think a corollary of this discussion is mm-hmm. acceptance is something that can occur after something I like to think of and I like to call compartmentalization. <laughs> Okay. That is, you have you have a problem, and uh, you evaluate it, and you look at it, and you say, "I can fix it." And if I work on this, I do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and it works out. It's going to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Or I can say, "Oh my goodness, I can't fix that. Right. I can't change that." So what I say is, please try to do this. Compartmentalize that. Mm-hmm. Take that and put it in a box somewhere and put the cover on the box and leave it there. And, and don't don't deal with it. Separate it out. And that's a form of acceptance, I think. I think so too. And, and the reason yeah, the reason I think that is because it kind of keeps you safe because your mind is gonna start coming up with 
all kinds of stories going into the future, going into the past, and spinning. You know that what we call in grief, it, it's a it's a trauma loop. That's what we call it. In, yeah, yeah. In when people yeah. are grieving, we call it a trauma loop. And sometimes it takes people quite a while to get rid of that trauma loop. Yeah. But what I loved was these two couples and how they got out of that. And one one of them, um, which was the the number 41, 41, the guy that uh, passed away in that horrible fire that was up in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yep. And many times with sudden death, people do look into the paranormal, which we did, was a little bit in your book about, you know, just they had so many signs. He actually wrote a book called 41 Signs. I think he he died on a day that added up to 41 the yeah. numbers of his birthday added up it was it was really interesting yes yes and that gave them hope and and gave them acceptance which was very different than dealing with a child that died from cancer right they looked at right. her accomplishments yeah. well there's one little thing i'd like to add to this too this Please. compartmentalization okay hypothesis mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of a a, a prayer it says uh, um Oh, Lord, give me the strength to change those things that I can change and give me the ability to accept those things that I cannot change. Yes. And give me the wisdom to distinguish between the two. Yes. I believe that's a serenity prayer. Yeah, I heard it somewhere. Thank you. I'll remember that serenity. Yeah, yeah. It's a but, but I think that gets back to acceptance. Agreed. It gets back to re- resilience, I mm-hmm. believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it is compartmentalization, I yeah. think. And, and But the labels that we put on these mechanisms that uh, our mind has the capacity to engage in uh, are worth exploring and thinking about and, and trying, I believe. I agree with you on that. I really do. And and throughout the book, you know, I just noticed how interesting it was to see all of the ways that people got through some of these things. You know who I really enjoyed reading about was Crystal Cantu. Oh, yeah. she, oh my gosh. She reminds me just being a a girl that was just determined, determined to not let anything get her down. And she tripped herself up a couple of times because she was, uh, I, I would have to say she's a bit stubborn, but in a good way because mm-hmm. she just never gave up. And what was it that she did for, um, wasn't she, she worked out, she was CrossFit um, mm-hmm. and her losing that arm, she still did CrossFit. That was unbelievable. Right. You know, that's a very heavy sport. It is, yeah. I don't know a lot about it, but I agree with you. It it's is. hard. So yeah. she it sounds like you know she took the other half of her arm and compartmentalized that and just put it in a box and said, you know what, <laughs> arm or not, I'm going forward. <laughs> yeah, and, really. Yeah, that was really interesting. So I think compartmentalizing it, it does it kind of keeps our our mind side it's kind of safe when we're going through so much trauma. Yeah. You know. Tell me the name of that prayer again. What did you call it? That is called the Serenity Prayer, and I believe it's um. You said it perfect, I think. Grant me the to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's life in a nutshell, don't you think, Dr. White? 
Well, that, that, that covers a lot of it. It really does. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. yeah. It, it really does. So, on in your book, the other um, lady that I really found amazing is, so when you talk about war and when you were in Vietnam, this lady, her name was Aretha. God, what a beautiful soul. Oh, my yes. God. This woman inspired me so much that I want to tell her story. And she basically was involved in, at nine years old, the Liberian Civil War that claimed 200,000 lives. <laughs> I cannot, I mean, it's what, what, what they, I think in the book it said it was 10% of their population. And it, when you talk about war being in Vietnam, this girl saw a lot of things that you saw and things that a lot of people never see. And don't understand. And what happened with her was, I think, and you could tell me about her too, was the faith that she had. But also, she said that she has no bad days. Because how could there be any bad days after what she had seen already? (laughs) When someone asked her that question, that was powerful for me. Very powerful. Mm. And then she ended up helping people. And one of the things I think that helps us so much have compassion, empathy, Mm. and resilience is always serving others when we're feeling bad. It helps. I don't know how, you know, when people are grieving and people come to me and they're really having a hard time and I I encourage them after about a year after the loved ones died to volunteer somewhere, maybe volunteer Mm -hmm. for another family Mm -hmm. because it heals us. Yes, yes. That's a, that's a very good point. I'm glad you emphasized that because that is, empathy uh, is a, a very powerful element to be aware of in, when we think about uh, mm-hmm. resilience and we think about our common humanity. As a, one of the psychi- psychologists talks about the altruistic brain. Yes. And, and that's a, a part of our brain that that makes us want to do the right thing, makes mm-hmm. us want to help others. And when we do that, it's it's greatly, tremendously gratifying, and it helps the giver as well as the givee, if you will. It and does. we talk about uh, burnout in physicians, yes, uh, which is a major problem. And empathetic physicians uh, uh, have more satisfied patients and also empathetic physicians uh, have less burnout uh, because of that element of the fact that uh, compassion and empathy, uh, it helps both the person who gives it and the person who receives it. And and we've seen that, as, as you observed, and we've seen that in others of our interviewees where uh, they were doing well and getting some happiness, some satisfaction, some uh, good feelings uh, by doing things to help others. That reminds me of the Dr. Patch Adams. I think it was a true story about a doctor that wore a clown nose on himself that uplifted people when they were sad. Instead of, you know, he just did a little bit more. And uh, there, there's, I, I love that you're talking about this. There's another doctor on Instagram and he's got... Oh, Dr. White, I'm telling you, he's probably got hundreds of thousands of people that watch him. He dances for his children that have cancer. 
he goes in there and he videotapes them and he puts them on and you see their little faces light up, mm-hmm. he lights up. And I think it's helping him through the pandemic. You know, he said it just keeps him going. A bit. Yeah. yeah. Bet. He's a young black doctor. I think he's a physician's assistant. If any of your kids have Instagram, his name is T Malone. And that's for my audience too, because he's just amazing. And talk about helping people overcome with music. It's just uh-huh. beautiful. So getting back to Aretha, sorry, I got a little distracted there. Um, she, she was this woman that, so moving forward on this with her helping, and she became a helper in immigration. She yes. helped other people that went through war in war-torn countries and that were trying to get their citizenship in the United States. And she's done amazing things with her life after seeing something and being a child in something so horrific. The fact that she came back mentally, spiritually, physically, She's a miracle. Yes. Yes. Beautiful woman. Yes. Did you have anything to add on, Aretha, Dr.? Not really. Personally, I I wanted, uh, and it's a very superficial thing, uh, but she makes me think of Aretha Franklin. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And and I, I, she had a lot of compassion and someone that, I liked a lot, but uh, no, I, I don't. Uh, that's a rather superficial. That's uh, okay. Comparison, but uh, well, when we, that, yeah. When we get back from the break, we will. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how these people all they came to you, and uh, we'll be right back. All right. All right. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
are listening to Inspiring End of Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, we're back with Dr. White and his wonderful book, Overcoming. So, before we went to break, um, I wanted to ask you, Dr. White, you know, how did all these people come to you? Were they like personal friends or people that you just witnessed or they inspired you? I know some of them must have done that, especially Aretha. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, if you could just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, there's several sources. Uh, I, I, uh, in being in academic medicine, uh, encounter some a number of younger people. The, the I think there are three physicians who were involved, uh, four physicians, but three of them I, I actually had the privilege of mentoring. And actually, the fourth one, uh, uh, Stephen Southwick, is a psychiatrist uh, at, at Yale, mm. uh, whose father was a major mentor for me. And I actually had the pleasure at, at his dad's request and his his interest as well, obviously, of, of mentoring him a little bit. So that that was profoundly gratifying and inspiring to have the privilege of thinking you might have helped your mentor's son by mentoring him. But that and Stephen Southwick uh, writes a little bit in the book. He's not actually one of our interviewees. Yes, he had uh, some beautiful quotes in there. Yes, yes. And then uh, one was astronaut. Uh, Bobby Satcher was a mentee of mine. And Herman Williams uh, was a, a mentee. And Claudia Thomas uh, was also someone I had to put The mentee. doctor, the other, did she work with you? Did she work with you in orthopedics? Yes, right. She was the first African-American female orthopedic surgeon in, yes. the, in the country. Um, yes, and, uh, and- and very much a person uh, of spirit and faith. She had a lot of uh, uh, spiritual uh, comfort and help through some very serious uh, illnesses uh, that she uh, overcame. Uh, so that was uh, that was a, a good a good opportunity for me. But uh, the, the other interviewees uh, we we have opportunity to discuss, and they were known by uh, some of our other two authors, actually, uh, mm. David Shanoff and, and John Land, mm. uh, and knew knew some of these individuals. So that that that's the way that uh, came about. Yeah. yeah, you know, what was also interesting to me reading your book. This is like my question to the celestial committee someday when I go to heaven: <laughs> <laughs> is why some more than others? I swear, I I look at some people like. You know, I have um, a woman in my life who I, I've known a very, very long time since we were like five years old. Nothing has touched her. Nothing. She's the same age as me. And uh, she just got a beautiful promotion and I'm so happy for her. But I always have that question, why some more than others? And I know that that will not be answered while I'm, my feet are on this earth. But boy, yeah. it just blows my mind. Yeah. You know, well, that's, that's, that would, you asked me what, what motivated me to write the book. And that was one thing that did. I mean, I'm so aware as we all are, we can't help but be aware of all of the negative realities that exist in our society. 
Yes. Uh, you know, all of the isms, uh, sexism and racism. And oh, all of those so things. much and right then, now. It's yes. crazy. And, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the pandemic and all those things, they're not going to go away tomorrow. However, no. we can build our resilience and, and we can have a, a better quality of life and, and we can survive not as happily as we might, but with applying some of these lessons and some of the inspiration of others and some of the uh, things that we can learn that, that nature actually gives us uh, is part of our humanity, uh, resources that can be used to help us survive while we wait for some of these yes. horrendous problems to be solved. <laughs> you know, Dr. White, that's, it's, that's true. And, you know, we were talking about compartmentalizing earlier and one of the things that, um, you know, even with the pandemic right now and all of the political stuff that's going on and the hate and the sadness and the anger, I, at the end of my day, I just kind of have everything go out through my feet back into the earth to be cleansed. I just, whatever I witnessed that was negative or that made me sad, I just try and wash it away at the end of the day like I'm taking a shower because that helps me compartmentalize it and be re resilient to it is just, okay, I'm going to set this here for right now and I'm going to focus on and find some positivity. And I think of my grandbaby's smile. I think of my cute little dog, my wonderful husband, my home. And it, it, shifts, it shifts the energy into something more positive. And the other word that you used that I liked so much was just going into the, our altruism and and the things that are so important to our soul's purpose. Yes, and, and I, I, I appreciate you reinforcing. I mean, that's the message, that's the message we're trying to give in the book is that there are all of these resources that can be utilized uh, to your benefit. And I love the word positivity. I, I, I was happy to hear you you use that. You know, that's that's an attitude, that's a, a mental uh, it's a walk. Uh, a walk yes. of positivity. I tell myself, yeah. it's the walk. I got to walk the walk if I'm going to be happy. Yeah. And, you know, because I've, I've just seen, yeah, like you, we've seen a lot. And it's it's amazing to be able to be that person that you are, sir, and put out this beautiful book for humanity to help people. Tell us where people can find the book. And um, if you're looking to talk to Dr. White or you have any questions for them, send me an email. He's working with a media person, and I really want to be able to help anybody that would like to read the book or has any questions for Dr. White. You can go ahead and send them to me, and I will get in touch with him for you. And then, um, Dr. White, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about your, um, just where they can find the book, any websites, anything else? Yeah. Well, I think Amazon.com uh my name, White, as the as the author, uh, I think uh, overcoming. I think okay. that will connect you readily. Yeah. Actually, yeah, uh, I think that will. And uh, well, I, I, well, would you like to add anything else? I think you you've done great. It's been such a good show, and well, yeah, I, I believe me. I mean, take it as faith. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And uh, no reason you should believe me, but take as faith the fact that you have, as part of your capacity as a human being, you, you are given 
certain uh, psychological and emotional and spiritual mechanisms Mm -hmm. that can be very helpful to you. And if you keep your mind open to that and try to think positively about that, oftentimes it can be helpful. And some of the easy ones are give empathy, receive empathy, uh, be realistic, uh, try to uh, make an effort and recognize where there may be things that it's better to be adjusting to than trying to change but give it a careful analysis, but recognize that like the people in this book that we've described in more detail, you do have a capacity to do better, to be happier, to be more successful as you go forward. We all have that capacity, Dr. White. That is very, very, very important to remember that when the, you know, what did my mother used to say? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yes. And that's a a very old um saying that my mom used to say, but she was tough and uh, she just kept going no matter what, even till the end of her days. So I have to thank you so much for being on my show, Dr. White. I really enjoyed our talk and uh, the book is beautiful. It will inspire you. It will help you if you're going through something hard in life. There's a story in there for everybody that really you could relate to. So thank you so much, my friend. And uh, I wish you the absolute best with your book. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your for the privilege of being on your show. You've, you've uh, stimulated me and inspired me to try to communicate this uh, even even better than I have. And I, I appreciate that. Uh, you've asked good questions and given me good guidance, and I've enjoyed it. So I thank Fantastic. you very much for that. You're welcome. You take care. And uh, I will be sending you a little email shortly. (laughs) So, thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. White, and uh, you take care. All right. You're the same. All the best, Nina. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, everybody, for being on the show today. Um, I mean, thank you, everyone, for listening to the show today. I um, have really enjoyed it deeply, and I love this book that's come out, and I ask you to not lose faith And heed the words of Dr. White, because it's true. We all have that capacity to work through what we need to work through in our life. And it's important. So keep up the faith. Keep your heart open. Be loved. Be kind. Be peace. Take good care. Bye-bye. We hope you have found hope in this week's edition of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. Please join your host, Nina Impala, for another program next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again soon.